Hey church, Pastor Adam here, and I want to say thank you so much for stopping by to join us for church online today. And and while we are super stoked that you're hanging out with us this morning, we do want to remind you that really this is just supplemental. And man, it just cannot replace the local church in your life. And so look, we hope that you are encouraged and and challenged and shaped by today's message that's being preached. Uh, But but also, we don't want to be your substitute. Uh, for the local church body that you should be involved in. We really do believe that the local church is God's plan A in reaching the world. So with that being said, please come hang out with us in person uh, one Sunday. If you're in Paducah in the area, come hang out with us to get some rest or find a local Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church that you can get plugged in and connected to. Uh, Jesus loves the church and and we love Jesus and, and we believe that we can better serve uh, Jesus, if we love his church well. So, welcome to rest. Good evening, church. I am one of the pastors here. If anybody doesn't know me, my name is John, and I am very honored to have, uh, well, just to be able to speak this evening. So, this uh, this season for me is a little tough sometimes. I'm going to get a little raw with you guys this evening just about where I came from and some of the things in my life that I've struggled with, that I've dealt with on my own and things I didn't have any control over. Um, But for the majority of my uh, young adult life, uh, I was a drug addict uh, for way more years than I should have been to only be 33 today. And uh, that was a, a long road that thankfully the Lord delivered me from a long time ago as well. Um, I say young adult. It was really teenage years into adulthood. But tonight's not really going to be so much about me. I really wanted to share where I came from with my father. So... My father was an alcoholic for the majority of his entire adult life. He probably got sober when I was young um, for probably about the early part of my childhood. I would say I was probably four or five when he got sober. And we were really involved in a local church. And we were, the youth were at our house every Sunday. My sister was much older than us, six or seven years older than us, older than me. And so the youth would kind of congregate around her and we would have, we lived right down the street from the church. So my mom, dad, everybody would end up making breakfast for 10 or 15 youth. And the whole entourage would march down the road to the church. And uh, in that, my father had cleaned his act up he started off really rocky, met my mother, started a family, got clean, uh, went to rehab, and ended up getting a really good job with the federal government, um, a really good job. And he was really, really talented in his job. He was an electrician, a lock and dam mechanic, um, worked his way really far up, and ended up getting on a team of assessment that would travel a lot. 
And so as this, is, this has gone on at this point, I was probably nine or 10, and he had started traveling quite a bit for work. And as he started traveling again, you know, they'd get off work and all the guys he was traveling with, they'd, you know, hey, Jerry, come on, let's go to the bar, let's go to the bar, you know, after work. And I think he had the strength for a little while to resist. But um, ultimately, he started going to the bar again and uh, started drinking again. And it never stopped after that. Um, I watched him struggle my whole life. I watched him struggle. I remember there were years after I met the Lord that I laid on my face and begged God to take it away from him. I begged God to remove it from him. I begged God for his sake. Not only my sake, because I wanted a daddy. I wanted to go fishing. I, I wanted to get up at 5 a.m. and meet him at his house and him not already be half drunk. You know, just like, come on, Dad, can you make it through a day to hang out with me? And he just, he was just so consumed by it. He said, son, you know I love you. You know I want to spend time with you, but you know I'm going to have my drink when I do it. And I remember as a, as a young Christian living with him, going to college, and I'd, I'd truly met God, and the drugs and the drinking had left. But my father would be downstairs drunk, and he would have his friends over, and he didn't, he didn't do any drugs at the time, but he would allow all kinds of, in his drunken stupor, he'd allow all kinds of debauchery at the kitchen table, and I remember sitting Upstairs, as a young Christian, just clutching my Bible, just like God help me, I'm so alone. And I remember calling Catherine one night. We were just barely friends. We weren't even really dating yet. And man, was she in over her head. She had, she just had no idea the amount of weight that I was dealing with. And I remember calling her one night, and I said, I just need. I just need you to just be on the other end of the phone. I spent Sunday afternoons working in Paducah, living in our home, and I would drive to Princeton, where my father lived, to try to want to bowl with him. We were, we were, took bowling really serious in the Wisdom household. And uh, yeah, so we spent... I probably rolled a half a million bowling balls with him on the days that he would stay sober long enough to, for us to get there before he got too bad. And then moving on from that, I remember in the middle of that, struggling as a, as a baby Christian and struggling to understand, just to understand. And I remember God gave me so much grace looking back now in my life back then to not have harbored anger toward my father. And I remember God just supernaturally giving me wisdom and just knowing that the struggle that he was in was so much deeper than the hurt in my life from his absence in it. God just 
took care of me. God taught me how to be a husband when I didn't have the best example. He taught me how to be a father when I didn't have the best example. Now I'm not bashing on my father at all because I loved him dearly. But in his state, he wasn't able to be the father to me that he wanted and that I wanted. And God stepped in and gave enough grace for both. I was able to love my father in the midst of his sin and pray for him and also have my own daddy that taught me a lot of things. And he sustained me through all of it. There was no doubt for me that he loved, that my earthly father loved me. There's no doubt of it. But again, his addiction, his, the, the struggles of his life were so immense that he loved me how he knew how. And with everything he knew how to give, everything he had left. He was a professing Christian out of his mouth, his entire walk. And there's a lot of things that you can look through in Scripture. Um, I don't necessarily know that I saw a ton of fruit in his life. And I just, that is between him and the Lord. I know Jesus, it really, Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. I can't, I can't dwell on that any longer in my life. I was on my way home from New Orleans. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I, I, I'm thankful now that I don't travel so much in my life, but I used to spend eight, nine months a year on the road myself, 70,000 miles sometimes a year on a company truck. And my father had ended up in the nursing home at 59 for kidney and liver failure um, and no ability to take care of himself. And I was coming home from New Orleans, Catherine, my sister, there were a lot of people at the nursing home and called me. I was in Memphis on the way back. I was in a McDonald's drive-thru. And my sister called me and she said, you better get here. You better get here if you can make it. You better get here. It was October 5th of 2018. And I remember kind of just, I wasn't really all that emotional on the way. But I remember getting there. And I remember being able to tell him I loved him. And he opened his eyes and he looked at me one more time. And the Lord took him home. And I struggled for a long time to understand why, my God, I've repented of stuff in my life. I have laid down, I have cried out to you in every way. I know how, why is this hurt so heavy? Why? Just why? Why does life have to hurt so hard and be so unfair? Why was his life so unfair? Why did he have so much hurt? I prayed for him. I knew the torment he was in. I just feel the need to share it. 
He was, he was so tormented in his life that he was the best man at my wedding and didn't make it 30 minutes before the ceremony. And somehow in God's grace, he took the ability, thank God, for me to be angry. I just had passion for my father. I was never angry at him for that. And the truth is, really, if I'm being honest today, God has worked so many things in my life through those issues. But if I'm being honest, I still don't fully understand all of it today. I still walk, I still have faith, I trust the Lord with everything I have in my body. But there are days that I still think back and just like, God, I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you to reveal more truth than that. Because today I just miss my dad. I just wish he was here. I wish he could see what my life looks like today. I never loved him and I never quit wanting that repentance and deliverance for him from that sin, for all of his sin. You know, and sometimes it was selfish and it was for me because I wanted my dad and I wanted my friend. He was always there for me. He just struggled to be there for me as a father, but he was always there for me as a friend. But from that situation in my life, since that situation in my life, God has delivered me from addiction. <laughs> he has given me children and the most wonderful woman in the world. And in all of that, just a few things he's taught me, just how precious, how preciously short this life is and how important things can be and how the mundane things are the most important. The little things that you don't notice are the things that God will teach you and grow you through the most powerful. And most of all, really, the Lord has taught me that comfort in this life is something that's not promised in my walk or our walk with him. But he does promise that he will use every circumstance in our lives for our good as a believer who loves him. And so that is going to lead us into what the main point, for my main point for me and for you in this is that hope sustains us. Romans 8.28, which is a verse I can assure you that I have clung on to in the darkest depths of my life. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. If you don't know, if you don't understand that scripture, I'm going to read it again. And we know that for those who love God, all things, everything, all things, he will work 
for your good if you love him and he's called you. I recently had a conversation with a brother, a, recent, a brother I recently met. And I had a conversation with him in the last, within the last few weeks of coming to realize just he, he shared some struggles just with his family and his home. Um, and he said one thing to me that really leapt out at me for the sake of this. I've been praying about this for a long time because the weight of this for me is really great. But he said one sentence that stuck with me that he probably to this day still doesn't know stuck with me, but he said having that eternal hope is absolutely necessary for me in my Christian walk. Because really in this earth, there's, there's nothing, there's not much left other than that hope. And I just want to hang there for a minute and think about what hope really is. And I'm, I apologize for everything that's going on up here. But hope is such a powerful... Thank you, sir. Excuse me. Hope is such a powerful thing that, I mean, like, I can't imagine how I would... Even the, just the small amount of struggle that I've had in my life I know there are people in this church who my struggle can't even compare. And hope is really what we have. But it's not a small fleeting thing. It's a powerful thing that's combined with faith to encourage and motivate us and to keep us pressing toward the promises of God in Christ. And I even used this scripture in my sermon a couple weeks ago. And you can tell how, how much the Lord's had it on my heart. But let's go to Romans 5. And I'm going to read 2 through 5. And then I just want to talk a little briefly just through it. Through him, which is Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So as I was reading through that, I actually like to talk it through backward. So we see that hope is the final of those four things that Paul talks through. Hope is where he ended. But we see from that, hope comes from character. And that character is God's character being developed 
in each one of us to give us that hope in Jesus, to look to Jesus, because we would never in our own strength have the ability to look to Jesus. And that character, God's character that's built in us, is built from endurance. It's not built from sprinting. It's not built from a drag strip. It's built from endurance, from a marathon, from a long 20-mile jog in life. Sometimes you feel like things just go on and on and on. But remember that it's producing character. And that endurance that we're talking about, the ability to sustain that long-term movement, that long-term energy that's needed, comes from our suffering. Now that's where it's a little hard to chew on. But I can tell you that I would never appreciate the depth of the love of God as a father if my own father had never struggled and dropped the ball. Now, do I wish it would have turned out different? Sure. Sure I do. I think we all do. But it didn't. And in God's providence, I know there's a lot of things in life I appreciate and see and understand because of it. You know, in Romans 8.18, what Paul is saying there in that scripture is that hope lets him consider that the sufferings and trials we face in this life are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. And that's a really easy verse to read and go on. But you really think about the glory that will be revealed to you? I think about Jesus in John chapter 17. Man, you want to know how much Christ loves you? You go read that prayer. You go read John chapter 17. And in that prayer, he says that real eternal life is that we know the Father. And in that prayer, he also asked for God to allow us to see him in his glory. And you think about the glory that will be revealed to us. Can you imagine getting to walk? Everybody wants to be known. That's why everybody loves being in a good relationship, in a strong marriage, because everybody loves to be known. Everybody wants to be known. You want to be vulnerable and intimate and exposed and know that you're loved in the middle of it. How amazing is it going to be to be in eternity with the one that made you and to get to live in eternity in perfect love with the people that we see right now, like, man, 
to just sit and ponder a minute on what we are hoping in and for. I mean, really sit and ponder about it and get lost in the majesty of what Jesus has done and what it means for you. Not just that you won't receive wrath and go to hell. That's a, the smallest part of it because we all deserve that anyway. But to know that you get to be in a relationship with him and that the veil is torn and that there is access to the Father because of Jesus. You know, Romans 8.24 tells us that hope for our salvation, if it was seen, if we could see it all the time, it's not hope. For if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now that wraps back into endurance, right? He's sharpening, he's working, he's executing, he's in control of every situation in your life to bring about your character, to shape you in, to shape you into looking, acting, and being like Jesus. And your hope is in that. The hope is in Jesus. It's not in our faith. It's not in our circumstances. It's not in our spouses or our children. And it certainly isn't in our possessions that moth and rust are going to destroy. Our hope points to Jesus loving us even while we hated him. And if you don't know that you hated him before you met him, you did. I promise. If you look back at your life and you realize everything that you were living for and standing for, I promise you it was in absolute opposition of Christ. Our hope points to Jesus loving us while we hated him, redeeming us from sin and from eternal death, sustaining us in this life, renewing our mind and transforming us with his word and interceding on our behalf to the Father I mean, ultimately making a way where there was no way. It has nothing at all to do with us. It has nothing at all to do with that you believed or that you made a choice. It has everything to do with him. (laughs) Because his hope sustains us. I was listening to a few different things this week. I'm always trying to chew and ingest from different pastors and different things. And this week I came across a small clip. And uh, the, the magnitude of what this pastor said, absolutely, I, I, I still, I've listened to it probably 30 times. And he's talking about the thief on the cross. And it's like, the day he made it into heaven, it's like the angels come and they're talking to him and they're like, so how did you get here? Like, what, how did you end up here? And he's like, well, I, I don't really know. And they're like, well, what, 
what do you mean you don't know? And he's like, well, I mean, I, I really don't know. I'm not sure. And they're like, well, so, you know, and it's like the angels are still sitting here trying to figure out who this man is, and they're asking him all kinds of questions, and they're, they're you know, they're looking at him, and they're saying, so what about the doctrine of Scripture? And the guy's just like, uh, you know, it's what about your church attendance? What about being a member of a church? The guy, the guy didn't know any of that. And he said, what about uh, the doctrine of justification by faith? You know, I have no idea. And he said, finally, just the angels just kind of all stop and they say, okay, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said I could come. And it has changed so much of my heart this week to think about it that way. Because it's so easy to get wrapped up in what we believe or what we seek or what we're doing or how much we're involved or if, you know what I mean? Like, uh, of course I've got to be, I've got to be on the right track. I'm a pastor, you know? It, I mean, and it, it, it means it's all wrapped up in God's grace and his grace alone. And so I, I like, I want to do something a little different in this invitation. And I just want to, I want to challenge everybody in this room to get together with somebody else and pray for something. Pray together. It doesn't have, you don't have to pray to accomplish something. Maybe somebody's just hurting and they just need prayer with somebody. Just, I just want us to get together and be the church. We don't have to pray to accomplish a specific task or a specific goal. But as we come for this close of invitation, I just want us to pray together because it's how God made it to work. And I want us to just love on each other. That's what it's really about. To love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love each other more than you love yourself. I love you guys in this room so much. Like, I can't imagine what my life would be without the people in this church today. And just the amount of love and life sharing that the people in this room have done with me. And that's, what I, that's where I feel like the Lord is leading us tonight. To just spend some life together in this room before we go home. So let's do that.